5, the first 11 verses. Let's be standing, please. This is the Word of God. This is the good news, the gospel. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesareth, Sea of Galilee, same thing, with the people crowding around him and listening to the Word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. May God bless the reading of his word. I'm a bibliophile. Love books. But I'm really excited about the new ebooks, uh, the, the digital things that you can just download. I haven't bought a digital reader or an electronic reader yet. I'm sort of waiting until it all, the dust settles and we know who's going to be the dominant one and which one will be the best to buy. Um, I tend to wait too long sometimes. But anyway, I'm looking forward to that because what do you do after you read a book? I mean, most of the books you read, then you put them on a shelf, and before long you've got to have another shelf, and then you've got them stacked up. And it's just books, books, books. Uh, so it's going to be nice to have them all just in a little thing, and then if you don't like it, just push delete and it's gone. But there's some books that I love and I want to touch, and I want to be able to hold them. Uh, I, I just want to be able to keep them and go back to them and read them several times. And this little book is one of those that I got, I think, 20 years ago. And it has touched my heart, so I always keep it on a shelf fairly close to my desk. So I can just reach out and grab it and look at it. And it's called The Society of Salty Saints. And it's written by a man named Michael Elliott. And he was an inner city minister. He worked at a, a church in a major city downtown, worked a lot with the homeless people, uh, worked really trying to rescue people. And he just writes some of the stories uh, of people that he encountered. And it's so touching to read about how Jesus uh, still reaches out and, and, and reclaims the lives of others. Uh, I wanted to share with you briefly just a few details about a man named Chester. When Chester came to Michael's church, he was a 65-year-old alcoholic. He had been a nurse at one time and was fairly successful. 
until he said one day he got up and he thought, you know, I need a drink before I go to, uh, go to work. So he, he took a drink so he could go to work. And then he got to where not only was he taking a drink to go to work, he was taking a drink when he got home to wind down. And then before long, he found that he had to have a drink at lunch. And then he had to have a drink at break. And, and before long, he was just drinking all through the day. And then he lost his job. And then he lost his home. And his family tried to help him, but they'd get all upset with him and say, if you would just quit drinking, we'd help you. And he'd say, you know, I do quit drinking. Some days I quit six times. You know, I'm trying to quit drinking. How do you do it? They said, well, if you'll quit drinking, we'll help you put your life back together. And he said, you know, I felt like Humpty Dumpty. There's no way to put it back together again. No one can put this back together again. Well, he started going to church at Michael Elliott's church, and he started coming to their breakfast that they had every morning for those who were living on the streets. And so at 7 o'clock in the morning, he would be eating, and suddenly he'd just stand up in the breakfast room and say, I want you all to know I haven't had a drink today. (laughs) Well, at 7 o'clock in the morning, you think, well, okay, is that going to do it or not? I don't know. Have you ever really struggled with anything like that? Surely there's something in your life that you said, you know, I really would like to quit that. I'd really like to add that. I'd really like to change this in my life. And yet it just seems like it's time after time after time. And it never really seems to stick. That, that, that you know, and why even try again? What, what is it? Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's eating, maybe it's you know, losing weight, maybe it's trying to become a more prayerful person, maybe more involved in church. Okay, God, this time I'm going to do it. This time it's going to work. And then when it doesn't, take a deep breath and say, will it do any good to try again? Is it really worth the effort to keep trying when I keep failing? Well, if you have ever felt that way about anything in your life, then that story we just read is for you. It's a story about someone who doesn't know if it's worth trying again. Now, you heard the story. You know the story. It happened when Jesus was there teaching beside the sea. And as he's teaching, the crowd just kind of keeps inching forward and gets bigger and bigger. And before long, they're really pushing against him. And, and it's uncomfortable. And he wants to be able to talk to everybody. So he gets this idea. He looks over there. And there's some boats sitting there on the shore. The boats of the fishermen. It's early in the morning. They've come in because in the Sea of Galilee, you fish at night. If you were a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, you fished at night because that's when the fish are up near the surface where you can catch them. In the daytime, they go deeper and you can't get to them. But in the cool of the evening, they come up to the top. You throw your nets out and you make your money that way. So you go out and you fish, and then in the morning you come in, you clean up all your nets, you take your fish in, and you sell them, and then you have money to support your family. Well, that particular morning, the fishermen are there cleaning their nets up, but they're really, you know, frustrated because that night, no fish. Happens every once in a while, but it's very frustrating to work that long, that hard, and have nothing And if you have no fish, you have no money for that day. So they've worked all day and have absolutely nothing to show for it. But they're cleaning up their equipment, getting ready to go home, go to bed, sleep through the day, get up that afternoon, head back out to work again. 
And Jesus is there with his group, and he, he goes up to one of the fishermen, whom he knows, by the way. This is Simon, Simon Peter. And if you read chapter 4 of Luke, you know that Jesus showed up at Simon's house a few nights before. I don't know if Peter's beginning to think, Jesus, <laughs> you want to use everything I've got? He, he came to Simon's house and healed Simon's mother-in-law because she was sick with a fever. Remember that story? And what happened after that? Well, the word got around that Simon's mother-in-law had been healed. Every sick person in Capernaum showed up at that house. And so here's Peter at his house, and all of a sudden he's got every sick person in the town is there waiting for Jesus to heal. Well, this time Jesus goes up to Simon and he says, can I use your boat? I want to sit in your boat just a little bit off the shore there where I can talk to everybody, and that way the crowd doesn't just keep pushing in on me. So Simon says, sure. So Jesus gets in the boat. Simon gets in the boat. They push off a little ways, and Jesus then teaches the word of God to the people. Well, when he finishes, he turns to, to, to Peter and says, you know what we need to do? Let's go out in the middle of the lake and go fishing. Now, you've got to realize that makes no sense in a lot of ways. <laughs> it, it makes no sense because Peter's tired. And he, he fished all night. And he didn't catch anything. It makes no sense because the fish aren't going to be caught in the daytime in the Sea of Galilee. But he kind of, now this is the way I picture it, rolls his eyes a little bit and says, Master, you know, we've worked a long time, but you know. Now, I, I got to point out something real quick to you here. Uh, I, I, I'm also a, a, a wordophile, a logophile, okay? I like words. And, and the word that, that Luke chooses to put in the mouth of Peter at this time. Now, remember, Peter was speaking Aramaic, uh, sort of like Hebrew. But whenever Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their Gospels down, they wrote them down in Greek. So they had to translate from what was being said in Aramaic and put it into Greek. And they chose different words to do that with. And that's one of the fascinating ways to study the Gospels is to see what different words Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chose to translate the same concepts. Well, the word here that Luke chooses, and he's the only one that chooses it, is a Greek word for master. And it only appears here in the Bible, and it only appears five times in Luke. And it's interesting how it pops up. Every time... Any of the disciples use the word master to talk to Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. It's at a time when they're a little frustrated and they don't quite understand what Jesus is up to. For example, do you remember the story where Jesus is walking through the crowd of people and everybody's touching him and reaching over and pushing on him and, and all of a sudden this one woman who's crawling on the ground reaches up and touches the hem of his garment and is healed? Remember that story? What does Jesus do? He stops and says, who touched me? Well, his disciples roll their eyes. <laughs> you know, how can you ask that question? And guess what they say? Master, what do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Do you remember the story when they're in the boat and the storm comes up? And they're rocking and rolling and, you know, they, 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 they think the boat's about to turn over. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. And they go and they shake him. Doesn't he care? Doesn't he want, you know, what's he doing? And they say, Master, don't you care that we're about to capsize here? Want to get up and do something here? 
And, and if you look, they're all like that. That's when they pull this word out. So Peter's thinking, this is kind of crazy. It's not going to work. We fished all night and we caught no fishes. You know, why go out and try again in the middle of the day when nobody catches fish? But Peter says, okay. So they go out and they try one more time. And they catch the biggest catch of fish they've ever caught in their lives. So big that they have to ask friends to come out with other boats and help them to get all these fish in. Now at that point, Peter starts to get it. And he understands that he is not in the presence just of a great teacher. He's not in the presence of a great man. He's not in the presence of some healer of some kind. He is in the presence of God. And notice whenever he falls down in front of Jesus on his knees, he doesn't say master. He says Lord. And when he starts to understand who Jesus is, then the first thing he thinks about is, this is God, and I'm not good enough to be in his presence. It happens all through the Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Anytime someone begins to get it and to realize who Jesus is or to realize that they are in the presence of God, the first thing they think about is that they are a failure, that they are sinners. Now, Peter says, Lord, you got to leave because I cannot be in your presence. In other words, what he's saying is, I don't think you want me because I'm no good. Now, I wish I knew what he meant by that. It could mean that he just has this large vision of himself of saying, you know, I've just failed so many times. I just can't get myself together. There's so much more that I want to be, and I can't be that. I'm a sinner. That could be what he's thinking, but I kind of think that if you went up to Peter and said, Now, Peter, you said you're a sinner. What is your sin? I think he could tell you one. I think that's the way it generally works. That there's really one thing that we've been battling one thing we want to change so desperately, and we try, and we try, and we try. And sometimes we want to just throw up our hands and say we can't do it. Why try anymore? Uh, if that's true with Peter, if it is mainly one thing that he's thinking about that he wishes he could get out of his life, or maybe some lack or need in his life he wishes he could bring in, and he's tried, and he's tried, and he's tried, and it just hasn't seemed to work. I don't know what that might be. It might be the same thing that's yours. Wouldn't it be interesting to know if Peter struggled with the same thing that you struggle with? But he says, just go away. This isn't going to work. Of course, we know Jesus' answer. He had every right to say, you're right. You're flawed. You're not going to be able to get your life together. To, you know, I can't use you because you're weak and because of that. But that's not what he says. He says, come on, Peter, don't be scared. We're going to do great things together, me and you. We're going to go out and catch people. 
It's another word there. I don't have time. Oh, well, anyway. <laughs> he doesn't say go fishing. He says we're going to catch them. In fact, the word is we're going to take them alive. Yeah. We're going to go. We're going to do the work of God, me and you, you sinner. Let me give you a definition of faith as we close. There's a lot of ways you can describe faith. But in light of this story, let's describe it this way. Faith is believing that when you hear the call of God and he calls you to come to him and you think because you failed so many times it's not going to work that you're willing to try one more time. One more time. That a good definition of faith is always one more time. One more time, I will lay this before the feet of Jesus. One more time, I will lift up my heart to God, ask for his forgiveness, ask for his help. And one more time, I will make myself available to him, to be used by him for his purposes. I sometimes get in trouble because I start stories and don't finish them. Chester, let me read the end of Chester's story. Chester, of course, finally got his act together. He was able to go longer periods of time without drinking. And one morning he was working at the clothes closet and someone asked him, have you been able to do that? Here's how he replied. He said, people ask me all the time how I was able to quit drinking after 45 years. So they want to know how someone like me can spend his time cooking for others, giving out clothes, studying my Bible. He said, well, I want to tell you, I can do it. Because I found Jesus, and he convinced me to try one more time. One more time. He convinced me that this time we could do it, and we did. And you can too. Let's stand and sing.